The following program was pre-recorded on WFAN. It's time for Hello, My Name is Craig, our weekly candid conversation about gambling addiction. It's supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Now, here's Craig Carton. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Hello, My Name is Craig. Craig Carton with you for the next 30 minutes. As always, an open, frank, honest conversation about gambling addiction and addicts like myself. Joining me, as always, my partner here, Dan Trelaro with Epic Risk Management. Danny, good morning. How are you? I'm doing great, Craig. Good morning. How are you And today? where do we find you this morning, Dan? What part of the country? Uh, I've just come from Omaha, and now I'm in Indianapolis. Got it. Dan's been on a, a nationwide college tour with Epic, <laughs> uh, talking to uh, college athletes about the potential dangers of gambling, which is a, a growing segment of the gambling population for sure. And joining us down in uh, South Jersey today a fellow gambler in recovery. This is Andy. Andy, good morning. How are you? Good morning, guys. How are you? Doing great. Thanks so much for sharing your story. You know, one of the things Dan and I talk a lot about, the more stories that people like you and me and Dan t- tell, the easier it is to humanize the addict. So I really appreciate you coming on. How long has it been since you last wagered? Last day to bet was 10-13-1997. Wow. So, all right, so 25 years we're coming up on. Congratulations on up. that. One day at a time, yep. If I asked you 24 years ago if you could make it a day, let alone 25 years, what would you have said? Uh, never, never. And that's what I think scares most people is when they say never bet again. That's why the, the pro- most programs are based on the one day at a time theory. All right, so let's get into a little bit just so people can uh, hear your story because I'm sure it'll be relatable to a lot of people listening. How did you start gambling? Was it as a kid flipping cards? Uh, was it uh, the track? Was it... A relative would like to play cards on Friday night. How did it start? I'm going to tell you, when, when, when I think back to my first, the, the first experience that I had with it, it, it was back, and I, I could have been six or seven years old. Hmm. I'll never forget, my grandparents owned a little little store inside an office building, and they sold lottery tickets. And I can remember mom picking up packs, you know, the bundles of the tickets, and I would get a sheet or two. And that addiction, that, that obsessive-compulsive behavior, picked up, I think at that point, and I might've had it before, but I can remember like, no matter how many tickets I scratched off, it was never enough. Was it, was Something. there, a, was there a win early on that drove you or just the, the excitement of scratching it and hoping to find something good? It could have been a $2 win and, you know, my parents getting excited or a $10, you know, and I, I don't think they knew anything back then, but you know about that, but I, I, I couldn't tell you whether I won or, or not. It was just more the the need to do it, the excitement of doing it, right? The excitement, yeah, of, of scratching it and, and seeing, you know, what can I win? And I guess maybe to make them happy, you know, because I knew they would get right. excited if you, if you had a winner. So, obviously, you're able to tell that story now with clarity looking back on your life. You obviously didn't feel that way in the moment. So, when you, it started off with scratch-offs like that, where did it go to from there as a teenager and then a young adult? I, I can remember the Meadowlands opening, and I used to live up in North Jersey, and when that opened, going with my buddies, you know, underage, but to sneak in there, we would go to dinner at Pegasus there with my parents and, and bet, and, and the feeling was yeah. definitely there. And I'll tell you, somebody at one point in 1982, and I guess I must have been in high school, dropped me off and took me to a, a GA meeting hmm. that I never remembered about until 20 or 25 years later when I got into the program. And I went to the meeting up in West Orange, New Jersey, and I recognized being in the basement because it was a nursery school there, and they had small chairs. And when I went back 
X amount of years later, I said, you know, did you ever have small chairs? And the guys that have been there said, yeah, definitely had the small chairs because it was a nursery school. So somebody uh, brought you there as a, as a teenager? Yep. I, I had a, a best friend that I'm still best friends with now, 50, I don't know, 52 years later. Huh. And his parents brought me because I would be playing, you know, the three or four of us would be playing um, 24-hour poker games at one of our buddies' house just between us. Wow. And, and, and I know that that addiction was there and it just because it was never enough. When did it become a real problem for you? Uh, was it once you got through college or had some uh, income of your own? Like when you look back on it, obviously you're gambling from a young age. It's a, it's a problem, but you may not recognize it. As you look back on your life now, when did it become all-encompassing? Well, I'll tell you, in 1988, I uh, I became a casino dealer, and I became that because uh, one of the other dealers that I used to go see all the time said, well, if you start becoming a dealer, you're not allowed to gamble in Atlantic City. Right. So to try and stop it, I became a dealer. I dealt, and it wasn't until So let me, let me stop you there. So you actually consciously made a decision to stay, to have gambling around you, but to protect you from doing it because you're not allowed to gamble as a dealer. Yes. Yep. Got That's it. That's exactly why I became a dealer. Huh. It was that that dealer, and I'll never forget her name. Wendy said, "Well, if you become a dealer, you don't, you're not allowed to gamble in Atlantic City back then." Right. So I, that's my whole reason of becoming a dealer. And it wasn't until 1993 my daughter was born, and I was late for a couple of weeks. And I, I was working in the industry at that point, and I was a a dealer that have, I considered a, a good dealer, really good dealer. And I was late a couple of days, and I'll never forget. I came back from work after having the baby, or my wife having it, and. Uh, I wound up being called up into the office, and they told me, we think you have a gambling problem. And I didn't know compulsive gambling or anything at that point. Right. And they said, we're suspending you pending investigation. And it went on. They said, well, if you go to you know, the 12-step program and if you see the therapist, we'll, we'll work with you, and you may get your job back. But so why, did went, they, why did they think that? Well, it, 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 it's a, it goes kind of deep into that, but I was gambling with somebody else's money large amounts of money. Right. And I think somebody from that casino must have called in and says, you know, so-and-so is here and he's winning whatever the numbers were, but they were big numbers right? or losing big numbers. And here I am, I dealt down in the high limit pit and I had a million or a million and a half dollar rack in front of me. So I think that they thought I could only be stealing. Sure. I think like the image of it was the problem. I got it. Yes. So because of that, and so I wound up going, getting into the program, seeing a therapist, and, and we all know how, what good manipulators we were. I think I did the 12 steps in three months. I helped somebody, <laughs> so I checked that off, and I was ready to go. I got my job back. I got the newborn, and I went four years without making a bet, you know, a, a bet for myself. But I didn't change anything, and I wound up after four years, uh, you know, falling off and falling off hard and in 97, coming back over that bridge, and uh, really well, I'm going to I'm gonna stop you. I'm going to stop you there for a second and bring Dan in. Dan, you know, it's interesting. You know, people say to me all the time, hey, for a guy with a gambling problem, you're surrounded by gambling. You know, how do, how do you do that? Um, yeah. And I, I don't really have a, an easy answer to that. It's just something I'm capable of doing. Um, but I'm not working in a casino like Andy did. And we have another friend who's been on our show before. Uh, who's uh, in the program, who's an executive at a casino in Atlantic City. Um, and I wonder, just overall, Dan, w what do you think about guys that do that? 
Yeah, you know, being a part of that environment, right? They say one some of the things is, you know, change those people, places, and things. And so, some things are easier to change than others. Um, but with the rise of Internet gambling, we essentially have a casino in our pocket 24 hours a day, seven days a week, sports betting, whatever it might be. So kind of, you know, distancing oneself from sports betting or gambling talk, it's something I know in your profession that you're – just mindful of on a daily basis because obviously you deal in sports talk radio and you do that as a living and that's your profession, but not working in a casino is one, you know, that's, that's one of the definite things to be mindful of. It's tricky, Craig. It really is. Because in the old days, you know, okay, I don't go to the racetrack anymore. I don't go to that same corner market where I used to buy my lottery tickets. I take new pathways. I have new friends, but with the growth of, marketing and sports betting and gambling, it's harder to stay away from it. You actually need to work, I think, even harder these days. You know what I find fascinating when I hear other people talk about your wagering, whether it's on sports or cards or casino games, and Andy, I imagine you felt this way. You You know, I laugh a lot of times at just how bad people are at doing it. You know, and uh, and I hear them talk about it, and it's like you know these guys that you you know front as if they're really good at it and are experts at it, and they've got this plan and that plan. And I sometimes chuckle to myself just how wrong they are or how bad they are at it. And I wonder when you were dealing, you know, it's not your money. You're watching people win and lose money you know, every second. Bang, 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 bang. If you kind of processed it the same way, watching other people make decisions that you knew were just stupid. Yeah. Well, I, I got to tell you, I think I got that high because you got to realize as a dealer, we get paid by if the player wins. We get paid very little by the casino. We make our money you know, on tips. So I would get that same high, and I built up many relationships, especially being in a high-limit pit with big players, and, and, and I would get that same adrenaline rush when somebody else won because I knew I was getting a big tip. So it, you know, if they lost, I was depressed. I wasn't like when I used to lose a bet, you know, where I was depressed for sure. weeks about it. But I, I definitely got that same flow, you know, with them winning and I'm excited and them losing and me being down and having a bad day. So what was the bottom of the barrel moment for you where uh, everything went south, if you don't mind sharing? Well, the first one was when they suspended me, and that's when I found out about being a compulsive gambler and what life's about. But again, I bs you know, I was kind of that dry drunk going for the next four years. When I came back, I was ready to kill myself, jumping over the bridge. But knowing my luck, I'd wind up paralyzed or, you know, I would cause more problems. I wound up going home and I went back into the program at that point because I wanted to be in the program. And I see it a lot when people come into the program because they want help. And, you know, as opposed to somebody being forced into the program. Right. I think it works. It's a lot easier because I wanted to go back. Now I work the program and I, you know. Sure. I do the steps and, and, and get involved, be of service, and all that stuff. Did you I give – I just want to ask you this because I think it's important. Um, did you give serious consideration to not waking up one morning? 100%. If I knew I would do it and, and, and not – if I did it and, and would definitely kill myself and it would be quick, I would have done it in a second. And, just so for, and I think it's important to talk about that because, you know, I've been there, and I just wondered once you didn't do it, and decided to, you know, voluntarily put yourself in the program to get help that you decided you needed. How long did it take for you to kind of lose that, you know, feeling of depression where you did want to wake up in the morning? I, I, I guess it. I would say maybe a, a year or so because you got to you got to figure out all your finances. You know, I'm buried now because I've maxed out all my credit cards and and 
So a year and a half, two years before I started having hope, and that's what the rooms gave me. It gave me that hope. And we're going to stop right there. That's where we're going to pick up after the break because that's the way I like to do the second half of the show because people need to hear that because they are there are a lot of people that are listening that have loved ones or themselves are at step one where the walls are caving in and they don't believe that there is hope. So we'll share that part of the story in just one second. This is Hello, My Name is Craig. Back to more of Hello, My Name is Craig on The Fan with your host, Craig Carton, and supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Welcome back to Hello, My Name is Craig. Dan Trelauer, of course, Epic Risk Management. And Andy is down in South Jersey, nice enough to share his story. You know, Andy, I said going into the break there, and Dan and I talk about it a lot, you know, I try to humanize people like us so we're not viewed as easy, you know, degenerates with nothing good to offer the world. And when we went to break, you were talking about how life turned when you were committed to go to the room and you wanted the help as opposed to somebody making you go there or, you know, going for the wrong reasons, which, you know, I experienced as well. And I wonder if you had to say something to a younger guy that, is now coming to terms with the fact that he has a problem, but can can envision, you know, life worth living. Can envision good things happening. Can envision not having financial problems. What would you say to that young man who's at step one of this journey? I I would tell him, and I see it a lot when they come, when a new person comes into the room to. To look, I said, in the beginning of the room, you know, in the beginning of the night, you see they come in with tears in their eyes, and yet you got 10 guys in there with some years under their belt and recovery, and they're as happy as can be, and that's what I always say to them. You can be you can be that person that's laughing with us because we all came in, and we were in your seat with tears in our eyes and the world ending, and how am I ever going to get at, you know, the, the, the financial crisis that you're in, and, and then once you're in the program and start working it, you realize how the finances are the easiest, easiest thing to change. It's the character defects that we have and, and changing your life and who you are. And, and I just want to give them hope to say, look, my life, I still have problems. I still have, you know, relationship problems. I still have this, but I deal with them now differently. And I handle them. And nothing is too big for me to, to, to conquer or, 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 you know, to work out. And I always say it always works out, but it doesn't always work out the way we want it, but it always works out. And all these things that I used to stress about are, are really, if you keep them in a minor level, you're okay. But it, it's when they be, they seem like you can't climb that mountain. You can't get over this hill. You can. And that's what I want to just tell these, especially the young people that are coming into this program, because with the computers and the phones, they don't have to sneak into a casino or into yeah. a racetrack. You know, they, they it's just accessible. And I always say for myself, if, if that was around back, you know, 25 years ago, I, who knows where I'd be today. But oh, yeah, I'm Someone asked to... me that yesterday on, on, or a couple of days ago on the show. And I said, you know, with the amount of money I had access to and the, and the unlimited credit card that I had in my wallet, that if there was legal mobile wagering around – when I was in the thick of it, I can't imagine the damage I would have done. Yeah. And, Dan, I want to bring you in on yep. that because, you know, I think what Gary and what Andy said, pardon me, is important because uh, we at no point in this show want people to think, hey, admit you have a problem, go to a meeting, and bang, the next day all your problems are solved. You know, that's not the case. You Like financial issues, relationship issues, family issues, they don't just go away well, you start learning the, the tools and the skills to handle them in a healthier manner. 
Yeah, and sometimes what I've learned over time, and probably you did too, it actually things sometimes do get worse before they get better. Yes. The, the, the truth is the fact, though, that we're no longer hiding. I remember when I was caught February 11, 2010, and I remember feeling scared because now the, the, the uncertainty of the future, but also this sense of relief. I didn't have to continue this charade. I didn't have to continue living this lie. My, my mental space that we talk about, Craig, would start like freeing up over time. And there was just a world of opportunity and possibility that was all new. And it was, it was relearning how to live life again on life's terms. Because, you know, we had a guest on a couple months ago, Craig, and he said he didn't have a gambling problem. He had a life problem. Right. He didn't know how to deal with life, so he used gambling to deal with life. But there's other healthier ways. So for people coming in for the first time, yeah, it's the start of a journey. And any journey you take, you're going to hit potholes and road bumps and things are going to go well and they're, and they're not going to go well. But gambling will only compound the issues. You know, we can deal with life without having gambling being a part of it. Yeah, I think it's important to tell those those guys that are listening now also that it's okay not to feel comfortable in a room at first. It's okay to find, you know, go to three or four different rooms until you find a room that, for whatever the reason is, you just feel good about being in. You know, I shopped rooms all the time, and I ultimately found one, you know, out in New Jersey, and... You know, it served my needs as yeah, somebody who was willing to go to the room. So it, uh, I want to be clear. It's not like one size fits all. You know, you may find a room you don't like, and that's okay, too. Yep. It's the commitment to go to a room. And I know with Zoom calls now, it's it's easy to find one online as well. But, uh, there's you know, you got to meet other people like you to learn from them. Andy, do you miss gambling at all? I, I, I really don't, and I kind of laugh at it. You know, don't get me wrong, you know, we're, we're getting bombarded with these commercials and the ads and all that stuff now. And every yeah. once in a while, you know, when, you know, they're giving you 250 to 1 odds, and I'm like, man, you know, I'm just thinking maybe I'll make a fictitious account and go in, and, and that to me is a little devil just trying to stir things up and knowing I can't, but I don't miss it. I miss, you know, I, I laugh at the buzzer shot. Right, And as soon as that buzzer shot goes in, I'm going, man, I wonder what the line is or the over is on that game. And then I said, I know somebody's crying over that and ready to kill themselves. And I know somebody's laughing and celebrating. And yep. I said, I don't want either one of those super highs or super lows. You know, it, it's a very parallel line that I'm, you know, I'm walking on now. It's not super highs anymore. It's not super lows. Yeah, I felt that so, watching so I really the, don't miss it. I'm with you. I felt that I was watching the national championship game with my yep. son. <clears throat> Yep. And because of, you know, hosting the radio show, I was aware of what the spread was in the game. And I'm watching it without a care in the world. I have no rooting interest. I didn't go to either school. I don't have money on the game. And I enjoyed the game just for the game itself. It was a great second half. And it dawned on me when I came into work the next day, because, you know, people on Twitter, people texting and whatnot, how many people had such amazing agita and were sweating out, you know, the final five seconds of that game. And I was like, I don't miss that for anything. No, I agree. I, I, I agree. I don't miss it. I, I, I was just saying that this is the first year, and, and, and I'm a big sports fan. I love watching sports. And, and, and that was my, my choice was sports betting. Right. But, I, you know, I woke up in, in the middle of the night, obviously, and, and, and I looked at, happened to look at my phone, and, and, and I saw the game was on, and I totally forgot. Now, I don't know when the last time I missed the championship of anything at that point. <laughs> And the next day I said to my girl, I can't, because normally, even if I'm not going to stay awake, I'll tape it. And when I get up in the middle of the night, I'll watch it, you know, to just see what happened. But I said, I, I, 
I, I didn't even remember that the game was on, and I don't. I can't remember the last sure. time I didn't watch a championship game like that. Well, listen, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your story today. Uh, we do this every week for this exact reason. We want people to uh, recognize that we're just normal people that unfortunately went down a bad road and had a problem that was well out of our control. So thank you for doing it. Congrats on uh, coming up on 25 years in recovery. Uh, proud of you, and uh, appreciate you sharing your story today. Thanks. All right, thanks. Have a great day. Thank I'd you, be well. You know, Dan, I think what Andy was saying there is one of the most important lessons, and that is it, you're not going to get help until you go to those rooms or whomever it is that you talk to on your own volition. Like, if somebody makes you go, you're not going to get the help because you're not open-minded enough to receive the help. And uh, I live that. I know you live that. He lived it. And there's some commonality in that, that it, we can all talk all the smack we want, but until you're willing to admit, A, you have a problem, B, it's out of control, and C, you need help, you're probably not going to get the help you need. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, I think about this often because I remember when I was in one of the rooms up in North Jersey, up in Fairlawn, a new person came into the room, and I had been in there a couple of years, and he just kind of, we just talked afterward, and he said, you mean I just can't gamble anymore? And I said, no, not necessarily. I said, that's not your focus. I said, your focus is to have a desire to not gamble. And I kind of switched hmm. it up because he was so focused on what we were just talking about here. Like that thought about never being able to gamble again, I could never wrap my head around that. What I wrapped my head around was I need to now find a desire to not want to gamble. And so how do you do that? You start creating a new life where it no longer fits in. You start working. You start developing relationships. But it's the desire because once you have the desire, then the stopping gambling part will come naturally over time. And it was those words uh, that I shared with him. That, to my knowledge, to this day, he's still gambling free. Yeah, you know, for me, it's my wife and kids. And I can say, I think with pretty good certainty, and this this, this is what scares me, that if I wasn't with my wife and kids, I would have gambled again. I don't don't think there's any doubt about it. But, you know, when I wake up and see him, when I go to bed and see him, when I come home from work and see him, they're the reason I don't. Um, And it took me too long to get to that place. But, you know, without them, I'd, I'm afraid of what I would do, and they're the reason I don't. And that's the only impetus I need in my life not to, and that's real. Yeah, and that's, and that's those relationships and the family, and that's where we start putting those priorities back in place. You know, we, we lose sight of it over time. You know, we always talk about, you know, you, know, you and I are people with a gambling problem. We're still human beings. We're still people first, and we, we want to be treated that way. And, yes, we've created a lot of problems and a lot of harm and done a lot of things wrong, but – I put that big butt in there. You know, we're still human beings first. And, you know, the family members need support. You know, we continue to need support. We support each other, you know, off the air. And, you know, it's it's a great journey. It really is. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. I wish everyone the best of luck starting that journey. Just know that there are always resources for you out there. One of them is the New Jersey Council on Compulsive Gambling, better known to many of you as 800Gambler. That's where Dan used to work and still consults with. And that is a great first call to make. If you don't have anyone else in your life that you think you can talk to. So we appreciate their continued support here as well. Dan, good job. We'll do it again uh, next week if you have the time, okay? That sounds great. Looking forward to it. All right, sounds good. This is Hello, My Name is Craig. Coming up next, Mark Malusis. And then Evan and I are back together Monday at 2 o'clock with the entire weekend of baseball games. That's right, baseball games. And getting ready for playoff basketball as well right here on The Fan.